Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he never went. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven faster than you. We are in a study called Church Words. We've covered the word saved. We've covered the word grace. And today we are talking about the word belief or believe. The interesting part of this study is we're taking these words that we've heard our entire church life. If you grew up in church, you've heard them your whole life, and a lot of times you hear something so often it loses its meaning. Or if you've come from a place to where you have not been in church, you hear these words, and we just toss them around like everybody knows what they mean. And you go, wait a second, what's that mean? So what does the word believe mean? Jesus uses this parable of the man with two sons to define the meaning of the word believe. But before we do that, let's talk about the word itself for just a moment. Um, How many of you believe that we have been to the moon? (laughs) Oh, some conspiracy theorists I see. Oh, sorry. How many of you have actually been to the moon? Oh, none of us. How many of you believe that the world is made up of subatomic particles? The answer is yes. How many of you have seen them? How many of you believe that the Earth's atmosphere is made up of approximately 78% nitrogen, 20.95% oxygen, and less than 1% argon? The answer is yes. Most of us believe this. Can you prove it? How many of you believe that George Washington was our very first president? The idea of belief begins with authority. We base a lot of what we believe on the fact that somebody else suggested we believe it. Now, that's not just blind faith. There's something, <laughs> something more um, going on behind the scenes. In fact, you want to hear how weird this is? Here's how weird this is. None of the things we have here you, can, you have actually witnessed, yet you believe it based on authority, which the authority is based on what? Check this out. Your ability to know who should know what. Like you decided that, well, Bill Nye, I mean, his name's Science Guy. (laughs) 
He's got to be telling the truth, right? You opened up a history book and it said George Washington, and you were like, it's in a book. It's got to be, you know, book people know that kind of stuff, so it must be true. Now, the George Washington thing, some of you may have actually been present for that, so that may not really work, but um, I didn't say who, I'm just saying maybe some of you look like maybe you could have been there. It's based in authority. It's just like every Sunday. You show up here, you come in, you sit down, and on some level, you believe that what I'm talking about is either true or, or at the very least, you believe that what I'm talking about, I believe. Like you believe that I believe it. You have zero proof. You've just assumed, well, surely he wouldn't lie. People never lie. Well, surely he believes it. There's a thing that happens in our mind to where we go, they are the authority in this, and so I'm going to believe it. And all belief, most belief, begins in a place of authority. Scriptural authority. You would assume that if I were out of line, the elders would come in and they would be like, okay, look, you're out of line. Straighten up or get lost. You assume that would happen. You also assume that the elders would know. There's a lot of assuming going on about our world, right? Especially things we can't prove. You see, the base level of belief is authority. This is what we do with our kids. We teach our kids to have a relationship with God by saying, this is what we believe about God. And so Katie and I, we get together and we talk to our kids and like, this is what we believe about God. Even if they have not on any level experienced that, we have experienced this. And so I convey that information to them and I give them a base level of belief. This is based on authority. This is what we believe about God. And I put it out in front of them. This introduces our children to the idea of believing you know, one of the most dangerous things in the world to me is standing back when parents say, I'm going to stand back and just let them choose what they want to believe. It's like, teach them how to believe in something first. Teach them how to like step forward and say, okay, I'm really going to believe in this. Base level belief in just authority alone, it's a great start, but it doesn't go anywhere. It has to move forward and actually go somewhere. You can't stay on that same plane. Um, there is, a, there is a, a, a great definition for belief, and Jesus uses it with this parable of the two sons. And it doesn't sound like a definition of believe, but it is. Let me give you some of the background of what's going on. We're in Matthew chapter 21. And I, I want to start by just showing you kind of what's going on in the context. So Matthew chapter 21, the heading is the triumphal entry. Okay. The Jewish people had an idea 
that Jesus might be the coming king. They, they had an idea, but Jesus had been pretty tight-lipped about the whole thing. He had told some of the people around him that he is the Messiah, he is the coming king, but he had not got to that place to where he was ready to just fully announce that to the world. But they were picking up on the clues, and there were many clues. Is Jesus the coming king? Well, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Where was the coming king, the Messiah, supposed to be born? Bethlehem. Do you remember the story? The Magi show up at Herod's temple. They pound on the door. Herod opens up the door. He's like, what do you want? And the Magi say, we have come to worship the newborn king. And Herod immediately panics. Wait right there. Slams the door. Runs and he gets all the Jewish wise men. And he says, okay. Where is this king supposed to be born? And all the wise men came back, or all the, all the Jewish wise men, not the Magi, but all these Jewish uh, scholars, they said, well, everybody knows this. The, the coming king is going to be born in Bethlehem. Like that, everyone knows this. And he's like, oh, 4,000 of years? For hundreds of years? Generation after generation, these people knew where the king was going to be born, where the Messiah was coming from. Jesus was from Bethlehem. There was also some other things. Nobody was walking around healing people all the time. Nobody. There's an occasional thing, like somebody gets well really fast, you know? You say, well, that's a healing. What kind? I mean, it got well pretty fast. But we're not talking Lazarus is in a tomb, they move the rock. And the dead guy comes out, like what Jesus is doing. And they would say the same thing. You are definitely anointed by God. We don't know exactly what that means, but suspect. I got my eye on you. You're like, you could be, you could be the one. I'm not ready to say it yet, but could be the one. There was another prophecy, too, that everybody was familiar with. Zechariah 9.9. And your king will come to you riding on colt on a donkey you see now this is really cool because i don't know if you know this or not but when a king shows up a president anybody noble when they show up somewhere there's an entourage we come in great big black suvs or big white horses big flowing robes and big kingly crowns but your, your king, your Messiah, he will ride in on a donkey. Not even a donkey donkey, but a baby donkey. It's a cute little baby donkey king. That's what you're going to get. He's going to come in like that, gentle. Triumphal entry. Jesus is now at that place of, I'm going to let the world know who I am now. The disciples get him a donkey. They bring it in. It had never been ridden. They throw their robes over it. Jesus mounts up on top of this thing, and he sits on it, and they lead him into Jerusalem. And when they saw him, and they knew everything that they knew about him, Bethlehem, the miracles, he's on a donkey. You know what this is pointing to, don't you? This is pointing to, because listen, if you do miracles, do you know what kind of entrance you should have? One with theme music. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Don't, don't, don't. 
Like that's the kind of entrance you should make, not on a donkey. Like one of those slow motion with the action guys, and you know, and they're moving and there's fog and everybody's got that like look in their face, like like that. Like if you're doing miracles, raising people from the dead, like zapping people and demons are going, you should have some theme music, you know? Jesus rides in on a donkey and everything about it just yelled, this is him, this is him. People begin to just tear away at the branches of the trees. They took off their coats, their cloaks. They threw them all in the street and they screamed, Hosanna, Hosanna, it's him, it's him, it's him. Jesus rode into town, and one of the first things he does is he goes to the temple, and he begins to teach, and he begins to heal. And he notices that while, while he's there, they've set up crooked scales, and they're doing all this dirty work. They're selling stuff in the temple, and they're making a mockery of the whole thing. And Jesus is now the newly announced king. He's made a play for the throne. Not the one, not the, not the throne throne, but the throne throne. He's made a play on it, and he comes in, and he sees what they're doing to the temple. You know what's interesting is he didn't ride it to the palace. You know, if you're the new king, and you can do all that stuff, you know where I'm going? Freaking head-on collision. I'm going to get that guy out of my seat. <laughs> Move it, sister. You're done. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> you're done. Done. Out. But he doesn't. He goes to the temple. And they're in there doing dirt, and Jesus cleans house, just blows everything apart, tips everything over, makes a whip, just thunders through everybody, tips over everything, and then off he goes. A couple days later, the next day, high priests, the teachers of the law, these scholars, they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, by what authority do you have to do everything that you've been doing? The cleansing of the temple, the healing of other people. Whose authority are you using? Do you see what they're saying? Do you see what they're pulling out? Authority. Whose authority? Because we've been stamped approved. Like we know how the world works. We've been taught things and we know things and you don't really fit into our, uh, the way the world works. And so we need you to defend yourself. Defend yourself. They're demanding that Jesus defends himself. Jesus says, that's, that's fine. That's fine. But before I answer that question, I want you to answer a question from me. Okay. Jesus says, the baptism of John, John the Baptist, seems a little off topic. The baptism of John, this is the baptism of repentance. This was the idea that get everything ready, the king is actually coming. Do you believe that John the Baptist was real? Do you believe that his baptism, what he was saying, his message, do you believe that that was really, truly from God, or do you think he was making it up? Well, they thought about it for a second. It's an easy answer. It's a super easy answer. But it requires something of you, and that's the problem. Jesus asked him plain. John's baptism, the one of repentance. Change your heart, prepare the way, open up your life so that when the coming king does arrive, you're ready to accept him. Is it from God or did John make it up? Is it from man? They call it huddle. 
All right, so what are we going to say? So they're talking about it. What are we going to say? And one of them says, well, here's the problem. This is a trick. What do you mean it's a trick? It's a trick. This guy's, Jesus is, he's a, big brother Jesus, he's a schemer, you know? He's a schemer. You need to know that. He is, he's always got the angle on something. He's a schemer. He's sharp. They said, here's the problem. If we say that John's baptism, the one that everybody was going down to the Jordan River and being baptized into for repentance, if we say that that is from God, then the question becomes, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you repent? Why didn't you do anything about it? See, if we say it's from God, like, then that comes back on us. Like, now, then why didn't you do anything about it? But if we say it's from man... That causes another problem because the people, they, they believe it's from God. And so we either have to step forward and say, look, John's a sham and his baptism is ridiculous and the people are going to revolt against us, which we can't handle. Or we have to step forward and say John's baptism is from God and we are disobeying God. And they're all in the huddle having this discussion. It's like, what are we going to say? They got two perfect answers. All they have to do is pick one. Pick one. But you know what the problem is with base level authority belief? Here's the problem with it. It requires nothing of you. And Jesus says to them, put something on the line. What do you believe? Stand up for what you believe. Defend what you believe. And they come back and they look at Jesus and they go, uh, we don't know. We don't know. Jesus says, man had two sons. He went to the first son and he said, today go and work in the vineyard. And that son said, I will not. But later, he went. Another son, he went to his other son and he said to his other son, go and work in the vineyard. And that son said, sir, I will. But he never went. Which one did what the father wanted? And these guys responded. The first one. And then Jesus looked at them and said, this is why tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven faster than you. Because if your belief is only base level and you won't ante up, and you won't put anything on the line. You know what the problem is? You've got nothing there. It doesn't cost you anything. You can abandon ship at any point. You can throw up your hands and say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Because you have nothing on the line. Tax collectors and sinners, on the other hand, they already gave in. You know what they said at first, though? No. No. No, I'm not interested in this Jesus thing. He's probably a hypocrite, just like the rest of them. So no, I'm not going to get involved. But you know what they later did? They came by the droves. Why? Because he was legit. He was authentic. He was genuine. He was real. They understood that his mercy really was what his mercy was. And they came. At first they said no. But then they said yes. And they did it. These guys, though... No. 
They said, oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, Lord, we would love to. We would absolutely love to. It would be great. We would love to take our life and put it out in front of you. Absolutely. But in the end, they didn't go. Base level faith, base level belief, based on authority, is not enough to have a relationship with God. It's not enough. It's kind of like a gallon of milk. If you go buy a brand new gallon of milk and you take it home and you set it on your counter, as time goes by, it will only get worse. And at first, it won't even spoil, but it'll be lukewarm and you won't drink it. And if you do, you're a psychopath. (laughs) You're a warm milk drinker and that's weird. Okay? Way weird. If you're not like this tall, way weird. But if it sits there longer and longer and longer, it spoils. That level of belief cannot last. The shelf life of authority belief is not enough. You can't fill your head full of random facts about God and just assume this is my relationship with God. No more than you can Google a celebrity and say, oh, I know all these things about them. Yes, but do you know them? Well, kinda. I know everything about them. Okay, you're a stalker. (laughs) And see, some of us get in that place to where we are God stalkers. And he doesn't desire that. No one does. What he desires is a relationship for you to engage with him one-on-one, for you to take a stand on something somewhere, to put something on the line, for you to ante up and say, this is what I believe. Now, you take these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, and you stand their testimony up beside the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who believed their testimony the most? You know one of the greatest arguments for why Christianity is true and why Scripture is accurate? You know one of the greatest arguments is that all of the disciples but one were martyrs. Let me tell you something. You take 12 of us, 12 men, and you get us together, and we say, all right, we're all going to agree on this story. No matter what, we're going to agree on this story. Like, nobody back out of this story. We say, okay, okay. So we got 12 of us, 12 guys all in a group, and none of us are going to back out on this story no matter what. Let me tell you something. First person that pulls out a handgun and puts it to my head, I'm telling the truth. I will sing. I'm singing. I'm singing. Is this real? No, it's not real. We made it all up. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Go talk to that guy over there. Like he, he, no, we made it all up. But 12 different guys, and not only just 12, but it just amplified and amplified. And every time the church was persecuted, it got bigger. And that's the thing that screams that it's real. So if base level authority isn't enough, for belief to establish a real relationship with God, what else do we need? Late 1800s, a guy named Charles Blondin, French tightrope walker, stretches an 11,000 feet cord across Niagara Falls, and he begins to walk across it, and people from Canada... People from the States all came to see this guy. And so he would walk this line. It's like 160-some feet above Niagara Falls. 
11,000 feet across. He got so brave that he did it in a potato sack. Then he did it on stilts. Then he got so brave that he got out to the middle and he cooked an omelet. I mean, people came and watched him. They were just like, this guy is incredible. He is the greatest tightrope walker in the world. He's incredible. And the people just cheered for him. Every single thing he did, it was incredible. He got a wheelbarrow and he walked the wheelbarrow across the line. And the people just cheered even louder. Then he took a big sack of potatoes and he filled this whole wheelbarrow full of potatoes. And he said, how many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope with this wheelbarrow full of potatoes? And everybody cheered, absolutely you can. There's no doubt in our mind you're the greatest tightrope walker in the history of tightrope walking, which was probably a short history. And so <laughs> you are the greatest. And they're cheering for him. And he said, you think I can? He's like, we think you can. He says, okay. So he takes the wheelbarrow full of potatoes and he goes all the way across 11,000 feet and then back and he dumps it over, and he says, do you believe I could do this with a person in this thing? And everybody cheered, absolutely, of course you can. What can't you do on a tightrope? He says, you believe I can? We believe, and they're yelling, and they're cheering for him. And then he says, so who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> no more cheering. some point, faith has to turn into action. It can't just be authority. Belief has to go from authority to action. You have to take that step and do it. If your belief in God is only my belief in his existence, that's not enough. That is not enough. No more than it would be enough for me to say, since you are alive and I see that you exist and I believe that you exist, it would be okay if I borrow your car without telling you because we're tight, because I know you. And you go, I don't know you or your record, you know? So no, I don't think that's a good idea. And God looks at us and says, just because you know something about me does not mean you know me. He wants a relationship with us. That means action has to be put in place. Do you believe what you believe? Because believe is an action word. It's not just this vague idea. Do you believe in God? Well, yeah, I mean, I believe that God is real. Not the question. There is a um, missionary. Let me get his name for you. John C. Patton, translating the scriptures for the South Sea Islanders. And as he was translating the scriptures, he got to a word that nobody had a word for, and it was the word believe. And so he would ask them, like, what is the, what is the thing, like, I believe, like, I believe. They're like, we don't, we don't know what you're talking about. And he's stuck. And if you go through scripture and you look at how many times the word believe is used, it's, it's often so how do you translate scripture if there's no word for believe? Believe in your heart. And if there's no believe in your heart, how are you going to translate the scriptures? And he's puzzled and he's sitting in his hut and he's just worn out trying to figure out like there's no word for this. How do you create 
a word in this language for this. And about that time, a, a guy came in, and he sat down in a chair, and he put his feet up on another chair, and he leaned back. And in his own language, said to the missionary who knew the language, it feels so good to put all my weight on a chair, to rest all of my existence in this chair, to lean all of my weight in this chair. And then he had his word for believe, lean all your weight on. And that's how he translated the word believe. In what ways does that work in your life? Does your belief in something mean you put all your weight on it? Do you believe that Jesus is going to come back for his church? Then is there evidence of your life, is there evidence in your life that you really do believe that? Do you believe that loving your neighbor as yourself will actually make a difference in their life? Do you believe that? Is there evidence of that in your life? Do you believe that the church is the world's only hope for the gospel message to go out and change the world? That the church is the only hope that the lost world has from going to hell? Do you believe that? If so, then does your life prove it? You see, Paul took a stab at the weak Christians in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians. And he comes at him and he says, I wanted to give you real food, solid food, but all you could handle was milk. All you could handle was milk. Let me paint you a picture, painstakingly paint you a picture of this. And I'm not going to be nearly as graphic as I could. But you're a grown man. A full-grown man who can grow a full-grown beard. All right? In fact, you are so much of a man that you have a job that you go to. You have a family that you've made. You have people in your life that you take care of. You are, by all rights and reasons... A man. Yet, when Thanksgiving and Christmas roll around and it's time to go back to your mother's house and you take your family back to your mother's house, everybody goes and they line up and they get their plates and they begin to take a piece of meat and put it on their plate and they pull themselves up to the table and they cut their meat themselves. They get salad. They get, they get some dessert on the side and, and they can cut it all up and they can eat it themselves, but not you. Not you. You're a full-grown man with a full-grown beard. You get your own family. Not you. You go in there and you say to your mommy, Mommy, will you mix me up a bottle? And she goes, absolutely, sugar. Anything for my 52-year-old baby. <laughs> and she gets out the Similac and she puts it in a bottle, and she shakes it up, and she warms it up just perfect to your liking. 
And then everybody else is sitting at the table, but you, full-grown man, you go in there and you, you spread out a blankie on the floor. And then you lay down on the floor and you suckle a bottle while you play with your own feet. And that's not nearly as vivid as the picture could be. That's Paul's reflection on weak Christians who refuse to take action in their belief. You want to be a baby. That's what you want to be. You don't want to grow up. You don't want to put anything on the line. When it comes right down to it, you say, you know, I don't really know. I don't really know. You back yourself completely out because you can't put anything on it because that would mean you have to take a stand. And God forbid you have to take a stand. Paul draws the line and he says, I wanted to give you solid food, but you couldn't handle it and you still can't. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? Is there proof of that in your life? Do you believe that the message of the gospel is the only way for people to come in contact with Jesus Christ? Is there message, is there, is there proof of that or evidence of that in your life? Do you believe that what your home looks like, what your marriage looks like, what your kids look like? Do you believe that all of that stuff is an extension of Jesus Christ? That we really are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Okay, is there evidence for that? If the answer is no, you got stuff you got to get straight with Jesus. Because if you're going to believe, that's not just authority. It has to move into action or it spoils. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, I would love to talk to you about that. If you don't know him because you've been a Christian your whole life, at least by name tag, you've been a Christian all your life, but you've never taken that step of saying, you know what, I really need to man up. I need to stop suckling a bottle and I need to, I need to man up. It's time for me to grow. It's time for me to lead my family. It's time for me to learn how to be kind to my wife. It's time for me to learn how to really love my children. It's time for me to love my enemy. It's time for me to step up and start doing the things that he has asked me to do. If you're at that place and you haven't done that, I got good news for you. There's still time for you to repent. There's still time for you to hit the brakes and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm ready to do something different. I've been basing everything on authority, and now I'm ready to man up and take a step in action. If that's what you need to do, man, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to, I would love to sit down and have that conversation. Um, you can get a hold of me anyway. Um, if you find yourself in a place to where you're stuck, you don't know what step you need to take next, listen, we've got some really good people around here who can really help you get some of that stuff lined out. So feel free to get a hold of me, and we will, we will have that conversation. Let's pray, and we'll go home. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word, and we pray that you will speak to our hearts today. Uh, God, thank you for Scripture and uh, how cutting it can be on us. We pray that you will strengthen us and encourage us by it. Lord, at the same time, thank you for convicting us and making us better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.